Daniel, we are back. Hello. Yes, we are back. I am back. My gosh, it's been what, <laughs> two, three episodes? It's been a couple episodes. I've been away. Back. Yeah. Been busy. Man's we're, busy. We're back. We're back to this um this rotation of there's never actually the three of us every time. That's that's a good point. And <laughs> I I maybe this time actually funny enough i think this time i'm the cons- the constant one mm-hmm. usually it's not me who's the constant one uh because of work but come august that will we'll see that will happen again you know um, what's gonna happen we're gonna be like a different like uh, you're gonna be at U of T or something i'll be at yeah. i don't know the pan am sports center okay adam will be touring montreal but we'll all have different backgrounds again like your guelph one yes yes that was that was a summer <laughs> um adam's on the ir as he uh said as he texted us a few days ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's on the ir he'll be hopefully back uh by the next episode we'll see not long Uh, long enough for cap relief so not long enough for cap relief there's the joke that's the (laughs) we needed it um but let's start with the biggest news Mm -hmm. of the episode i'd say is we have a stanley cup champion we do in in their sixth year of existence, the Vegas Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions. They did it. The and long the long wait for the fans. The long wait. You know they've they've been wanting this forever. But Bill Foley it said it. Bill Foley said it. He said when he when uh, he purchased like the team, even though he didn't purchase the team, he purchased the expansion fee or whatever. Um, he said. They were going to win the cup within six years, and they just did it. Uh, they they beat the they did that's true. Uh, they beat the Florida Panthers uh, in five games, and in game five they beat them nine to three. Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, you know, I've just been thinking about um. This is the big thing. I know we're going to get more to details, but on Florida yeah. side of things, after the second period, like, what can Paul Maurice tell your tell the team? In between the periods, like it's six one. Yeah, no, that's a that's a tough one. I I don't know what you could say other than to me. And listen, I'm not a coach, so that's why I'm giving this answer. Um, it was a good year. Uh, they whether I mean, listen, I think they've they've the the Panthers, the players themselves, have said, you know, everyone really didn't expect us to make it us to make it this far uh and myself included did not expect them to make it this far so i would argue it's been a hell of a run and you know we can look at uh specific players who 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 helped them get there along the way including one sergey bobrovsky uh matthew kachuk coming up clutch in um especially in the third round against the carolina hurricanes but again like no one expected them to get this far. No one expected them to get out of the first round mm. when they were down 3-1 uh, to the President's Trophy, one of the greatest teams, um, one of the greatest regular season regular teams, season of, teams, all teams yes. of all time, uh, Boston Bruins. And we have so, to remember who ended that series for them. Who was it? Friend of the show. Well, not really a friend of the show, but uh, you know, deep in our hearts, Leafs legend Carter Verhage. Damn it, Daniel! Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! We've been recording for five minutes, and his oh name has gosh. been brought up. That's okay. It's uh it's a name of the past for Leaf mm-hmm. fans, as I would put it. Um, 
what did you what did you think i mean like listen we can the the we can break down by game by game but i just curious to know what you thought of the series as a whole cuz a lot of people went into the series uh saying i think a lot of people went into it dissing uh the two teams that that made it and i mean some of the numbers that ha- some of the tv numbers that have come out uh since game 5 have shown that the viewership wasn't as high but do you do you think it was as quote unquote boring as people said it was or you think it was exciting i think okay there's two things here i think for me it was that we don't always see this all the time but the nba finals going hand in hand with the nhl finals right like usually there's a bit of a gap in between the games but for me watching both series i think it was the difference in narrative for the NBA, I think there were two things you can really cheer for. Um, I guess, number one, Miami being a big market. You're, of course, going to get more of the viewers for that one, especially someone who is as, I guess, infamous or famous as you want to see it, like Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Someone who can perform like that has that personality. And then on you know Denver side of it, it's just kind of like, are they finally going to get it done? You know, first championship, uh, Nikola, Nik- Nik- Nikola Jokic, arguably the faces of the league right now, of course you're going to watch that. Um, you know, you could also add in the Canadian factor of Jamal Murray coming back and being an all-star for them. I think that just is the difference for me. I think with this one, uh, I guess from a hockey fan perspective, it's more, it's the Vegas thing where it's just, yeah, of course they got it done because look how aggressive they were with every single move they did. Uh, I think it was, Elliot, no, not Elliot Friedman. I think it was not Elliot Friedman. Um, it was Kevin Bieksa where he talked about how there was that transition between the misfits that made it to the finals, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and having this team of what they said, you're, they're going to try to win it in six years. They were so aggressive with the trades they did. Uh, we can question their player loyalty uh, up until this point when it came to the big contracts, but I think that just was it. It's just kind of like, oh, like, look, look, these teams kind of like went into it. So for me, it was just that that aspect of like, what are you really kind of cheering for if you're not a fan of either team? Yeah, I guess from a narrative standpoint, um, sure, maybe the there wasn't a whole lot to watch for. But I think from and maybe I I don't know if I'm alone on this one or if you would agree or or if other people would agree, but from a Team, like from looking at the two teams and the way they play, I thought this was a really, really interesting standpoint because of not necessarily like I just look at uh, the way they play and maybe their systems aren't exactly the same, but they will grind you. They are, I think, and when Adam and I were talking about last episode, it was they are a pain in the ass to play against. And both of them are like that. And they're very similar in that sense. And to me, it was the question of who was going to be a bigger pain in the ass. Or and and listen, we now know about all the injuries. Who was the healthier team who was going to be the bigger pain in the ass? Um, and I thought it would be. Vegas. I think I said that last episode or two episodes ago. It turned out to be Vegas, but 
that doesn't take away from I I think what Florida did through the playoffs. It was just constant, like boom, and you could like at time after time and time and time again, running through the having to run get through those guys and then not even be able to get past Bobrovsky, but. Vegas, man, were to me a completely different beast. While maybe their goaltending and and listen, from a name perspective, Aiden Hill doesn't have the Sergey Bobrovsky at Vesna pedigree, if that's what we want to call it. This was an absolute Cinderella story in terms of Aiden Hill. But everywhere else, it was boom, boom, line after line after line. Down to their fourth line, I think the depth that Vegas had is what put them over, at the end of the day, put them over the Panthers in this series. It's a very interesting thing. I remember on this pod, we used to always talk about all of those trades Vegas was doing to get players to dump cap and how we thought, how heavy they were, like how top six heavy they were. How um, you know they had two or three defensemen they heavily relied on, um, and to really see that difference, I know that they, they did make moves again, but I really liked how more strategic they were this time. Um, Ivan Barbashev is an example like that. You talk about that two-way game. Talk about a guy you could really put anywhere else in the lineup, and I think he's just an example of just smarter moves on Vegas's part. Uh, they were that juggernaut team that we expected them to be, but it was this time the complimentary guys coming up. Um, we, we didn't mention Jack Eichel yet, the resurgence of Jack, Jack Eichel. Uh, right. Biggest weakness we talked to that uh, talked about with Ve- uh, with Vegas is the center depth, and Jack Eichel really so- solidified that for them. Um, giving Chandler Stevenson, you know, an opportunity to just play at his own pace. He's a good player, not a top line center, but. Mm-hmm. It just kind of worked for them. Um, one thing you did mention with Aiden Hill is it's funny because he was supposed to be this goalie in San Jose. Do you remember that? When he briefly, left briefly. Not, he left Arizona where the strike for the kick, we're gonna try to roll with him, and then it just didn't work. And then they sold low on him for what a fourth round pick to yeah. Vegas. Yeah. After trading like a second and a low tier prospect for him. And I kind of like that we talk about depth. We talk about the goaltending they had there. Just they did everything they could. They had the insurance policies wherever they had to go. And I remember it was also in the first round. We were questionable, like, okay, did Mark Stone come back way too early for this? But he proved that he still played at an insanely high level. He proved that he can be the leader they needed. And for me, it was just a more cohesive Vegas team. I know there were still a lot of moving parts there, but it was a team that just came together at the right moment, that things just stuck. It wasn't just we're trying to get best player available possible and then then put them somewhere on the team. It just it felt more cohesive. And well, it was a completely different approach. Like you said, like I, I think if you look at the moves that they made in years past in terms of they really did go after best player available, getting Alex Petrangelo and moving out Nate Schmidt and um, and more. Uh, then going after Mark Stone and moving prospects um, and then doing it again last season with Jack Eichel. 
they didn't take that approach this time around. Uh, they 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 took okay, like let's create like that bottom six is just a pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, Ivan Barbashev, and I know uh, Jeff Merrick, or I'm sure more than just Jeff Merrick, but I hear him say it the most. Talk about that being the best deadline trade deadline acquisition, and he's probably right in terms of the impact he's had um, on that team. And I heard him say like he loves it in Vegas, but man, if he goes to the open market, that guy is gonna make make a lot of money. Uh, and this play, and it happens every year, right? Like we've yeah. seen it in the past, Barclay, Goudreau, Blake Coleman, uh, Kadri. Uh, it's, it's really, really big examples. I don't, I don't know if he's gonna get the the high end of Nazem Kadri dollars, but he's gonna he's gonna make his money because of the impact uh, he made on the team. Um, I want to go to Florida for a second. I, I go back to Florida again because they had a Obviously, they had a really tough start to the season where they just had a load of injuries. Um, and so they didn't have the greatest start to the season. We were talking about whether Montreal would have a top 10 pick with uh, with the pick that they own from Florida. And then they kind of made their way back up uh, as people started coming back from yeah. their injuries. Where what what where do you think they go next year? Like they have listen, Matthew Kachuk's here for forever, and that's a yeah. good thing. Um, they have for the most part an idea of of their of their team. That they really like. I'm just looking at their cap friendly right now. They have up front. They have three guys who are either UFAs or RFAs, which is Eric Stahl, Giovanni Smith, and Colin White. Up front, they're they're set like it's on the de- defensive end, and like listen, those those guys uh, had had pretty good years. Do they bring back a guy like Radko Gudis? And what's I guess what's next for the for the Florida Panthers? Yeah, it's it's interesting because for me, they had the weirdest two years, <laughs> right? The, like they they went from you know top of the division to barely making the playoffs except you know it all mattered in the what happened in the postseason for them so to be honest i don't know i i actually don't know like i think that they had an excellent core for the postseason but i want to see more of that consistency in the regular season for that to happen um i think they're a team that they're probably gonna lose a few of these spare parts but mm-hmm. they're gonna be able to replace them easily um I don't know. Like it's it's weird. Like we we talk about like Eric Stahl of like where do you go from here? From this guy's what thirty eight years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you still bring back that cheap depth? That you know that embedded leadership that it's always invaluable to any team that wants to go on a run. Or do you want to get younger? Does Colin White really kind of be viewed as that guy who was that reclamation project that came from Ottawa after he was bought out. Like how much more do you want to bet on that? Um, for me, I think it was Radko Gudis might be the only guy in terms of just someone who's just been there since the turnaround for them. Someone who's been very consistent of being that type of guy and being that player. I know he's getting a bit older for the way he's playing, especially 
you maybe you bring it up. Um, one thing I, I do know is, and we've talked about this before with Florida, is just betting on these guys that become amazing offensively. We talked right. about Carter Hagee already talked about betting on Anthony Duclair, um, other guys who've left like Alex Venberg, just bring, giving these guys opportunities and then figuring out what we can do with them. We could even say Ryan Lomberg as an example, um, mm-hmm. Mason Marchment as an example as well. So I, I think Billy Zito has an idea of what he wants to do with this team. And I don't think they have to break the bank necessarily again, like a big, I don't think there's gonna be another Matthew Kachuk type of move coming, but I think they don't it's have gonna be the more, capital for that. Yeah, they don't have the capital either. for that. Um, but I could see it the way it was three seasons ago of just getting these guys and giving them this type of low risk, high reward type of signing. Now, I, I saw this floated on Twitter, and it was more so just a question, not a rumor or anything like that. Um their goaltending situation. I guess we don't exactly know uh, the situation with Spencer Knight at the moment, but we do know that Sergei Bobrovsky makes $10 million for three more seasons after this one. You're pro- I don't know what you're betting on with Alex Lyon, I guess. He had a really good end of the season, and then eventually you had to pull him come, come the playoffs. He's 30 years old. He's a UFA. The question that was posed was, do the Florida Panthers trade Sergei Bobrovsky and does he bring back, is he of positive value now after this run? Oh, that's a good one. Um, there's so many things on like different sides of that, right? Because like it's the money, right. the age, yeah. Uh, but it's also this like proven winner, proven guy that could, I, know, I always call him the giant killer. <laughs> like it just, for me, well, it just that's what it is. Yeah, he he's the giant killer in the playoffs, and it's it's weird. It's, like, it's for a team that is going to be contending, but it's like, are the Panthers willing to take back cap for the next three seasons for that to happen? Right. Because where does that kind of leave them? Because we don't know what's going on with Spencer Knight. I don't trust. I don't think Alex Lyon's coming back. Uh, I forgot. Alex Baumgartner talked to us about that. The other prospect goaltender they just signed, and then he played a few games. Um, uh, he's a European goalie. I don't, I don't think know. that guy's quite ready to play for a bit, but yeah, I'll, I'll look for the know. name. But he's a guy that I don't know what the long term approach is with that one. We're, we're looking right now, like what the goaltending market is right now. Do you go and try to bet on it? Like, I believe like Mackenzie Blackwood might not get uh, a qualifying offer. Right. Is that a guy that, you know, another Billy Zito type of do you bet on this guy? Or mm-hmm. Tristan Jari is probably not coming back to Pittsburgh. Is it another guy where it's like, okay, you had an up and down career so far. Um, let's try to get back on that up, at least for now. So right. there are options they have with it, but I'm not worried about Florida. Like they they've been able to get a lot out of their guys. Um, I think Chris Chris Will Christophilus talked about this. Like, they they were built on a team of guys that played beyond their contract value, mm-hmm. and they have and, to find that again. Yeah, they have to find that again. Uh, no, that's that's a good point. Like, I don't think they're gonna have trouble next year either. I think they shore up, and I think they 
shore up their their back end a little bit and get, and you look at what they were missing compared to Vegas and again I'd still make the argument was depth and if they can find those pieces again the Atlantic is already a nightmare even with yeah. them in it if they shore themselves up it's continues to be a nightmare so again they're in a very very tough division Adding Matthew Kachuk as a solid piece of that core last season absolutely helped, um, and 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 we'll see what we'll see what next year brings. Do you have anything else on on uh, either team or the Cup final or the playoffs in general before um, we move on? Yeah, two final points. Yep. I don't know. I think it's I really like the core in Vegas. Yeah, uh, they're gonna be able to run it back, you know, more so as. The team is um, under the cap, obviously. Yeah, under the cap, obviously. So maybe they'll like. I mean, like we say that's love. Like, there's no excuse for this team to kind of run it back and try to go for a back-to-back championship. Uh, we'll yeah, see they, how that goes. Should. Um, second point is, and you did mention it, it made me think about it with Florida is the amount of injuries they have and trying to get these guys back into gel into the lineup, especially the right side on defense. Right. Uh, that might kind of plague them a bit of playing catch up again towards the end of the season. So we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So I don't know if it's been announced like the timelines I've seen the injuries and like just a ridiculous amount of injuries. And I think highlighted by uh, Matthew Kachuk and his broken sternum in game yeah. four, they wild um i don't know surgery yeah i don't i Um, and that maybe you've seen it i haven't seen the timeline i haven't read anywhere about if there anyone's missing the start of the season i know for sure about aaron ekblad is missing training camp and then Mm -hmm. Brandon montort's three to four months with his surgery so maybe i can't do so july uh yeah maybe the speak very beginning of the season he'll he'll miss so i don't know i i think I think they'll be fine. Be fine. <laughs> I think they'll be fine. That's just me. Um, is that your second point? I'm yeah, that was my second point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where do you want to go to next? We have a whole list of options. We can talk about the sends. We can talk about coaching hires. We can talk about the Leafs. We can talk about who the Habs should take at five. Where do you want to start? Hmm. We can do Ottawa because that's another. You want to do Ottawa? That's another okay. like. We're going to spend as much time, but it's another big story. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been kind of waiting weeks for uh, a few weeks for it now, but the Ottawa Senators have sold to Michael Ann Lauer for $950 million. If that name sounds familiar, that is because Michael Ann Lauer is the minority, uh, is a minority shareholder of the Montreal Canadiens. I believe it's 10%. Uh, and now he obviously has to sell that as he becomes the owner of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, it took some time. We lost Steve Apostolopoulos. We lost um, the Remington Group and Ryan Reynolds. But now we mm-hmm. they they've they've set on Michael Anlauer. Yeah, we're, we're here, Canadian. Yeah, we're here. Uh, you, see, you already mentioned too that this is a guy that kind of dedicated to of like just what do I call it like metropolizing the Ottawa senators, making them more central, you know, being in Ottawa, not in Canada, 
So yeah. well, I, think I think that was a big. I think yeah. that was a big part for big part for all the bids. Um, but it is classic that it's a guy from within the NHL. Which listen, I, I, I don't. I'm complaining about it. Sure, this and I'm. I'm trying to be consistent with how I talk about the Arizona Coyotes here. Not that I'm comparing the franchises, but the idea. My whole thing is, is will Michael Anlauer help the Ottawa Senators move forward in, in many different aspects in, you know, building a, helping them build a competitive team through their payroll, uh, through moving the team downtown, relatively downtown, closer than where much, much closer to where, from where they are now to help the uh to help grow revenue like is that if i'm looking at it from that sense is that what he's going to do is he actually interested in helping the team rather than just owning the team and i think those are two different th- to me those are two different things it's the same thing i said about about arizona where time and time again that team has been put in a situation where they haven't had the best owners and it's turned out to be the, the what is currently happening over there. So if Michael Anlauer, which I, I don't know much about him as if he is going to help push this team forward, which in turn really actually pushes the helps the league push forward too. I, I don't see why, why this would be a bad thing. Yeah, um, I think for him, it's just it's such a precarious situation right now. The franchise mm-hmm. finds itself in when we we mentioned like Arizona. We've mentioned how during their transition out of management, that was when it, that was a team where they were supposedly in transition towards becoming more successful. You know, Taylor Hall, right. Phil Kessel, all of that, and then we suddenly see them go back to their old habits of persistent, constant. You know, scorch earth policy rebuilds that we're seeing there, or just doing something with all these contracts <laughs> like that just go somewhere. Uh, I think Ottawa too is just not in the same situation as Arizona now, but more of there's that glimmer of hope you have with them. Mm-hmm. Remember last season, uh, Pierre Dorian said the rebuild is over. So you 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 look at this team as is this the team that we're probably going to elevate that? No, we're not going to keep stepping back and trying to trade all of these guys again and just hoping for the highest draft pick, um, hoping mm-hmm. that we just get experience from the young guys right now. I think as much as he is a young guy, you know, Jacob Chickering should be that signal, that final signal of we're trying to build something here successfully long-term. The biggest thing we've mentioned before is from the draft before. What will what is the value and what you're going to bring in for Alex to bring Cat now? Uh, right. Do you still view him as a guy that is someone that could be central to your offense? A guy that actually wants to stay in Ottawa? A guy that for her, what Ottawa's trying to do now? Like, is he a marketable guy right now that you need to invest in that? So I think for me, that's just the biggest thing that's going to be part of what's going to happen for the Senators now. Um, I'll call it the glimmer of hope of that. It's a bit of an upswing right now. There's excitement over a new owner, excitement over a guy who's Canadian who wants to make the team more central. And it just has to kind of just make sense on the ice right now of what Ottawa wants to do. Like, are you going to go back to the old habits or are you 
gonna actually be sustainable like a sustainable winner for the long term so but i think and i think this is where the this is where the two situations differ and we're going to get to alex to because mm. there's an alex to update update um first i should clarify that anlauer is buying 90 percent of the team for 950 million dollars uh eugene melnick's daughters are are going to stay are going to still own 10 percent of the um of the team where i think the the situations are different are if you look at at ottawa what you'll see in ottawa is pierre dorian had a very tough time at times making the right decision not by his own doing now, I, I think it's come out recently that he actually wanted to offer Mark Stone an eight-year contract and was told no. Oh, did I lose Daniel? Oh, I might have lost him. Nope. Oh, here? We're back. Yeah, yeah okay, you're back. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> like... I'll go back. I don't know what you heard, but... I heard that Mark Stone... I heard everything. You heard Mark Stone, eight-year... Yeah. Eight, he was... He offered. He wanted to offer him an eight-year deal and was shot down. That's okay. They have Eric Brandstrom now, right? <laughs> so, so to me, like, I think he wanted to make the right decisions, but he wasn't able to because of outside factors. So, yeah, you know what? There are moves that Pierre Dorian has made have made that really have not worked out. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to list them off because there's no point, but there are moves that he have made that have not worked out, but there's plenty of moves that he has made that have, uh, that have worked out for the team. So I don't necessarily, I necessarily think again, it's it, the conversation is above uh, Pierre Dorian and, and the decisions going back to the old decisions. It's about is the owner in essence, Willing to spend the money, I think yeah. that's what what um, to me. And I, if you disagree, let me know. Is that is what's at stake here? Is he willing to? Is is Ann Lauer willing to spend the money? Yeah, because for me, it's you. You really did kind of like center a lot of things on these young guys that they came up when everybody else was being traded, right? Like in terms of the investment, are you gonna spend and allow these guys to get the support, allow these guys to know that they're valued players, or are you gonna have Brady Kachuk become a Mark Stone situation? I think mm-hmm. for me that's the biggest oh. comparison yeah. I have with that is these guys that have willingly stayed on this team beyond their rookie contracts, these guys that you want to prompt up as your franchise guys. Are you going to invest in them as well? Or is it just going to be another thing where it's like, okay, you know, the recycle and repeat. Um, I think that's just going to be the biggest change for it. But like what you said, like, I don't know his management style. I don't know how he's going to be as an owner. We only saw him with 10% of the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think like, you know, he has anything to overrule with that. Um, It's just going to be interesting to see like what he's going to do when it comes to the big decisions. Like does does Alex DeBrincat, does that situation signal what we're going to see with the new owner? Or is it something that it's just going to be something different that we'll, we'll see for Ottawa? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Like that's, I, that's what it comes down to. And hopefully it's something new. 
Um, let's talk about Alex Dabrinkat because prior to um, prior to the sale of the team, and I guess we don't really know if that has changed, but it seems that Alex Dabrinkat may be on his way out of Ottawa. Um, and it's uh, and and I know this morning they the team uh, or it was announced that they were going to go to arbitration with um, with Alex DeBrincat, which is always lovely and is definitely a good sign um, for for his chance uh, with staying staying with Ottawa. Now they traded a lot last year for Alex DeBrincat. They traded. Sorry, they traded the seventh overall pick, the 39th overall pick, and uh, a third round pick, I believe, next year. It's going to be hard to recoup the assets that they gave up from last year because he didn't have that, he didn't have as good a year with the Ottawa Senators this year, unfortunately. What I, I and I'm stuck on this too. Like, what do you do with with Alex DeBrincat? Do you go out and essentially take the loss on 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 Alex DeBrincat the trade? Like, you're not going to get back what you you paid. Do you keep him for another year? Because then you're walking him to free agency. I'm I'm pretty sure if you keep him for another year, and you know maybe you trade him at the trade deadline, or do you somehow convince? Like, and I don't think this is an option, but do you somehow convince him to stay the eight years? Because that the but again, that seems like an absolute far fetched idea. It doesn't sound like he wants to stay in Canada for the next eight years. Is that, I believe how it was put. Yeah, I yeah I think for me it's the draft. I sound like Elliot Freeman here. The draft is going to determine what we're going to see in terms of the decisions. Right. Um, I think at that point it's not so far dragged into the summer yet that we're going to expect that okay they have to get what they can or even at the deadline you know get what you can for this guy that clearly doesn't want to be here. I think with the draft that's the perfect opportunity to not necessarily get the similar package that they had but get something get something you know what i mean i don't think they're going to get a kevin korchinski type of prospect back for alex the brinkat but i could see it and i don't know why i see it similar to what the wild did with kevin fiala rather than just let it drag out they allowed themselves to get a lower first round pick get a solid ncaa prospect and just work with that. Know that they got a solid package, maybe not necessarily the equal full value back, but they got something back. Yeah. So the wild got Brock Faber and 19th overall uh, from the Kings uh, last year, last Mm -hmm. year. Now, my question is though, and I've heard this talks about it. And I think I, I, I would agree with this is that, in the situation that the Ottawa Senators are in, is it beneficial for you, for them, sorry, is it beneficial for them to acquire futures? You're going into a year where last year, um, Pierre Dorian said, the rebuild's done. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine a scenario where 
again, you trade Alex DeBrincat for futures and your team gets better. Unless you can go somehow around and, and flip those assets for another player. Isn't it better for the team to go out there and, and, and trade for, for some type of asset, like a player that that can, that's going to make an impact on the lineup now. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. Yeah. It's a good thing. I'm trying to search now. Like, this is also like a very NHL thing um, uh, that, you know, you trade two, you trade RFAs, for example, or you trade guys that have the high potential, but they're not just, it's just not fitting in their current situation. So all I could think of is Pierre Lugubois, but like, I'm, I'm trying to no. think right now, like who are the other guys you can go for? Cause yeah, Pierre Lugubois is number one, according to Sportsnet. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> Brad, we'll talk well, about he that just, after. He just yeah. signed, yeah. Uh, Timo Meyer's probably staying in New Jersey. Cole Caulfield signed. Mm-hmm. The Brinkett's number five. Um, I don't think... What, did they need a Vince done? Oh, no, he signed, right? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's a no. RFA. Troy Terry, but he had an offseason. Keandre Miller. Trevor Zegras is staying. Evan Bouchard is probably staying. <laughs> Listen, like uh, Gabe Velarde. Uh, yeah, I mean the I, other notable names there are like Alexis Lafreniere, uh, Lafreniere, uh, Bowen Byram, Morgan Frost, Alex Newhook. Like yeah. I, I, I saw people, or I saw it was suggested that one of his preferred destinations would be Detroit. Really? That's so. Well, I think he's from. Oh, is he from Michigan. Detroit? Okay, I think okay. he's from Michigan. Let me that double makes check. Sense. <laughs> yeah, he's from Michigan. So again, but I look at that team and I go, "All right, who's going to make an impact right now?" Mm-hmm. Looking at the cap friendly right now, um, who is the guy? Yeah, who is the guy? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm actually, yeah, I actually am. Really unsure. I'm even looking through, like, what would Ottawa want? Like, do they want a? That's actually yeah, Alex. That's actually really. really I know it's like I, I'm stuck here too because it, it. And I mean, I'm sure Pierre Dorian has better answers than either of us. That's why he's in the position he's in. It's a really tough situation because you have to determine, like, you have to decide because again, they also don't have their first round pick this year, right? That's yeah. that's with um that's with the coyotes at twelfth overall. Also, fun fact, they're still paying uh, the Red Wings are still paying Alec, um Justin Albicator until twenty twenty six. Oh my gosh. Are they really point, yeah, one point zero five million dollars. That's so much fun. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I think Detroit's already on the upswing with who they have, but I don't like would you take like a Dominic Kubalik and other draft picks like i don't like a dominic kubalik and a philip zadina listen i'm not saying i i i'm not like i'm sure they would consider it but someone who makes an impact yeah i don't know like that's a that's funny you suggest um Winnipeg, but I or uh, Dubois. Obviously, that's not going to happen because he wants to go to Montreal, and we should talk about him in a second too. But I, I, it's a really tough situation. I think you know what's going to be interesting to to see what they do because 
I think they said the I think they said the sale of the team would be done around September October. If he's if Debrinkat's here, say they don't trade him come training camp, and he's on the team, he's going to play out the year. I guess they got to show the commitment. Yeah. Going back to what we said before, that they got to continue to show that commitment because I think they started last year bringing in Giroux, bringing in Debrinkat, um, looking at the steps the team made, hopefully bringing in a goaltender. Um, that's what I think. Hopefully he stayed like this. I don't like the Ottawa Senators, but in terms of if the, how this team is better, this team is better with Alex Debrinkat on it than, than they are without him. Yeah. That's just yeah, for sure. That's just the situation. It just um, yeah. Last no, thing really. I want to say is just like betting on that is just gonna be difficult because like what which version of Alex DeBrinkhead are you gonna get? A guy that still was a good player, but just not wasn't the player they thought they were getting, at least for the season. So it'll be interesting to see um what happens. Because I think if this this creeps into the deadline, no way they're getting a good package for him. No, because he'll be a UFA, and so yeah. he, they won't get as much as they could have. Um, let you 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 mentioned Pierre Luc Dubois before. Let's let's mention. Let's bring him up again. The, I the mean, we can bring. Up, yeah, the biggest yeah, can, secret in the league. Pierre Dubois wants to go to Montreal. Okay, listen, 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 listen. And he's not the only. We're gonna. There's a couple other uh, Winnipeg Jets uh, players I saw that uh, were being talked about. But let's start with Pierre Luc Dubois. All right. It's the second summer in a row. Or right? Yeah. Second yeah. summer in a row. Uh we'll call it the Pierre Luc Dubois saga. He wants to go to Montreal. Well, he doesn't want to stay in Winnipeg. No. I'm not doesn't. we don't need to comment on that. Whatever. I'm not gonna be mean to Winnipeg. He doesn't want to stay in Winnipeg. Um, you know, he was at the draft last year in Montreal. They all thought it was we all thought it was done. the deal was done. Now they're saying he he would accept other places. I know they've talked about L.A., the Rangers, Minnesota. A lot of places. I'm going to be honest. And that's and listen, he can do whatever the hell he wants. I, I guess I'm pro-player empowerment, I guess. I'm not gonna have any sympathy after this goes down. I didn't have, I didn't barely had any sympathy last summer. But then, as this drags out again, I'm not gonna have sympathy when he shows up to Montreal. He ha- doesn't have a good few games, and then the Montreal media go after him because that's what's gonna happen. I don't like. I don't want it to happen. I don't think the Montreal media needs to be so damn aggressive, but they're gonna be whether we like it or not. So I'm not gonna have sympathy with sympathy when that happens. I'm not. I don't even have sympathy now. You know. You know what's funny? Um, I I actually read this recently about uh, New York Yankees players of um, people like um, apparently it's like oh these are the guys that you know they had the high profile names they they went to New York and then they flamed out and then so many of the comments were, I'm not saying it, this isn't a fan perspective, like, but there's so many things people write about is it's an extra responsibility on top of the job you already have to play in a market like that. And I think that's what I see with Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to happen when he goes to Montreal. 
you imagine if he pulled the stuff he did in Montreal, like to what he did in Columbus? Um, for me at the time, I think you just had that relatively like, young guy still trying to make it. Um, but I think we're at a point now that what we have with him is what we have. It's it's like like he's still an amazing player, but I just don't mm-hmm. think like there's that upside we got to wait for. I think we already know what he is as a player and he's not necessarily like that anchor on offense that maybe Columbus tried to build him up to be. I think that if he goes through certain dry spells offensively, at least not in his two way game, I think that's going to be kind of picked up by Montreal media of this guy's underperforming. Like Rob, like what happens if this guy has less than 60 points when he's making supposed $9 million a year and he has under 60 points. Man, that guy's going to get eaten alive. He's yeah. not like, I don't even want to make this comparison because I feel bad, but we're going to do it anyways. Listen, Patrice Bergeron is not the, he can get points. He can absolutely get points. He's n- not many times has he gone more than a point per game. Maybe if, maybe a few times. He's not Patrice Bergeron. No. He's not going to get the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'm sorry. He's not. If he's especially at nine million dollars, yeah. that's a a lot for. Let me pull up his stats real quick. Had how many points this year? Who had sixty three points in seventy three games last year? Had sixty points in eighty one games. Yeah, it's solid, but it's not. I don't know. This just doesn't scream nine million to me. Listen, he's going to walk into Montreal and he'll probably be second line center. Yeah. Is that fair? I think he'd be a second line center on most of the teams in the league. I think there's yeah. a handful he wouldn't be. Remember he'll he probably left side for a while. I remember that. He's playing he left did. Side for a while. Yeah. I don't think, I don't remember if it worked out well or not, but I don't think he's ever been in. Oh, when he got to Winnipeg, he played on the left because I think yeah. he was coming off an injury. Um, something like he, I think he was coming off an injury or COVID. It was the COVID um, restriction at the time. And then he, they played him on the left side to start. He's going to walk in. Listen, he's going to walk in and be, probably be second-line center. Montreal next year has a 1-2-3 of Suzuki, Dubois, and Doc. Yeah. Damn, so, pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. Now the question is, what do they give up? Like, let's be honest. LA, New York, Minnesota, they're around. They just try to make the conversation interesting. He's going to Montreal. What do they give up? You know, I don't know because it's just with Winnipeg, it's we I feel like we say this every year, but I really do believe this was their year to do something because mm-hmm. nobody wants to come back anymore. Um, like nobody yeah. that core is done. I think that core is that core is over. And if you know they truly go scorched earth policy, let's let's rebuild this from the ground up. I think Montreal has a lot of options for that. Um you know, Lane Hudson really, really drove yeah, up don't the even, stock. Don't even suggest that. 
What is not here? The, oh, don't even suggest that. that. Okay, I don't know. Philip you should, you, like, what do you well, want to say? I don't yeah. know. Like, and and I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Because I, I I don't even know what you were gonna suggest next. But the question is, and I guess to add some context to it, if Montreal's the only team he's going to, his value goes down. Yeah. Just to the floor, not literally to the floor, but his value goes down because there's no one else he's going to sign an eight year extent or whatever length extension with outside of the one year he has to be there. Well, I mean, it's like Owen Beck, Jordan Harris, and like a second <laughs> or Florida's first. I don't know. I don't. Well, thir- yeah, it'll be 31st, maybe. Yeah. Uh, listen, that's. I think a lot of people. <laughs> I've seen on Twitter some really unrealistic trades. I think Winnipeg fans are absolutely bumping up his value, and some Montreal fans are just taking it down a notch, like just lowering it. And I think, you know what? Maybe that's a fine deal. They're going to have to give up something of value. Yeah. Right? They're going to have to give up something of value, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again when Adam's here um, to see what he has to say, but they're going to have to give up something. Just – just the way it goes uh, with this deal. Like, I don't, there's no situation. I don't think they're giving up Kirby Doc. Like, no. I don't think they're giving up Lane Hudson. I don't think they're giving up the fifth overall pick. Like, calm down. We're, we're not there yet. They're not. You're not, not for Pierre-Luc Dubois in the situation they're in. Would you do Philip Mazar? I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't. You have. To, I, I would say, yeah, sure. Yeah. How high up? Like, I know he did not have a particularly uh, fantastic year. If you're gonna give up on him now, I guess you give up on him with Pierre in a Pierre Luc Dubois <laughs> trade. I, I, I don't know. Again, I'm really curious to see what Adam thinks. Um, sorry, Adam. Not Lane Hudson. Sorry, not, Adam. Sorry, yeah, Adam. No, no, you should apologize. Yeah. I should apologize. We're never going to hear the end of that one. Um, and I guess to wrap Pierre-Luc Dubois' conversation, because I want to get to two more players that uh, were written about earlier today. Um, what does Pierre-Luc Dubois, if he's a Montreal Canadian, how much does he make? Because we just went through uh, Cole Caulfield's extension, and you know one of the big things um, there was – that the Canadians wanted him to come under Nick Suzuki. And I get it, different situations, a lot more RFA years. Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be, he's going to be 25 in literally a couple weeks. Um, Very different situation. But how much do you think Pierre-Luc Dubois makes in Montreal? Montreal? I think if it's over 8 million, in my opinion, then Mm -hmm. that's an overpay. I think eight million is okay. already kind of testing it, but I think in terms of value of what he's already proven of the role he's gonna play, if it's over, yeah, like seven point eight or eight million on the dot, I think that's way too much. Okay, that's fair. I say a, I would argue eight million dollars as well is like the most. Listen, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong about Pierre Luc Dubois. I just can't imagine can't see if again it depends on what Pierre-Luc Dubois shows up <laughs> yeah. next next year 
would be would be my thing. So there's two more guys uh, they're talking about in the in an athletic article uh, from Murat Atez, who writes about the Jets, and they're talking. He was talking about Connor Hellebuck and Blake Wheeler, and I think we already know it's kind of been confirmed that Hellebuck doesn't want to sign an extension. Um, both these guys have a year left on their contract. Let's, I mean, do you think they, let's start with Blake Wheeler. I think this is a much quicker conversation. Mm-hmm. Is Blake Wheeler actually a jet come training camp? Oh, that's true. I don't know. Because it depends on where he views himself in his career. Because it, he's at the tail end at this point of, right. you know, you know, he was a, he was the guy that you think of when, you know, the jets were on the up and up. Um, and for him to kind of leave somewhere, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it, I think it's going to be a situation where he plays out the year. Well, you see with a lot of veterans gets traded at the deadline, maybe comes back the year after, or he'll retire like that one, those one day contract kind of things. I think that's what I'm going to see Blake Wheeler kind of do because I think mm-hmm. for a run, he's actually, he still could contribute. But I think you're at this point too. Like, even if you try to trade him now, you're not getting an insane amount of value for Blake Wheeler. Oh, I don't think you're getting much value at all. And actually, I have a very different opinion than you on this one. I, I can't, after what's gone down. I just I can't fathom them bringing him back, running this back again. So they took the C away from him, yeah, for reasons. I don't even so cap friendly doesn't even have it have him listed as an assistant. I feel like that might be wrong. Um, but at the end of after their first round loss to the Golden Knights, Rick Bonus says what he says at at. The press conference basically calling out his best players and all his best player well the two culprits in Blake Wheeler Blake Wheeler being the the top one essentially says we don't like how he handled that I can't see how Blake Wheeler comes back next year as a Winnipeg Jet because of the entire history of everything with after line A leaves, some like it's just all the thing. It, it just after line A leaves, I have a sour taste in my mouth. Now we come down to this. I just, I don't know how you bring it back. Like that we're talking about. Like, listen, if you're trading Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, you're Man, not winning anything. You're not winning you're not, anything. You're yeah. you're blowing this up. Yeah. If you're trading Connor Hellebuck, you're blowing this up with as many players as possible. Like it's not just con- stops. It doesn't just stop at Connor Hellebuck and Blake Wheeler, right? It, it's it's a little bit bigger than this. So to me, I, I think Blake Wheeler's gone regardless. I I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he she's still there come training camp, but I cannot see him. Uh, being with the Winnipeg Jets um, this coming season. Now, with Connor Hellebuck, it sounds like he's going to be traded. Yeah. Where does he go? Ooh, it's a tough one. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like I actually think because they're just 
so bold right now and they have so many young guys like wouldn't it be awesome for him to go to the New Jersey Devils it would be very interesting but you don't think they're set with Akira Schmidt and Vitek Vanacek I don't think so I think I'm not convinced with that that tandem Um, okay Honestly, I'm going to say now, like New Jersey hasn't had really consistent goaltending since Brodeur and Corey Schneider. Well, when Corey Schneider was not playing like seven, like remember he was playing like 70 games a season. I I really feel that this would be the guy you kind of go for if you're still New Jersey where I think they're just at a point where they can be so bold with their picks, with the amount of prospects they accumulated and still just get from their surplus. That right. this is not gonna hurt them at all. It's it's still going all in without just you know the the pain of these packages that are gonna set them back a few years because it really won't because their core is pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, like just getting back into it, and I think they're also on a momentum swing of getting into the second round of upsetting the New York Rangers. That this is a team that they look at like what was kind of our weak points. What's something that we want to do in terms of solidifying everything. And I think Connor Hellebuck would be a perfect fit for that team. But will they be willing to pay the price of the extension? Because that's where it gets interesting. Because, listen, we're going to talk about Jesper Bratt. Timo Meyer's also up. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I'm I'm missing a couple other guys who, like, other guys are gonna come up eventually. Mm-hmm. Like you pay because he's gonna ask for a lot, a lot of money. And I know the cap's gonna jump up. That was also my next sentence, my next thing too. He's gonna ask for a lot, a lot of money. I don't know if he's gonna ask for Sergey Bobrovsky's ten million dollars. I'm sure he could. And if he was on the open market, I'm sure he would get it. But are they going to be willing to pay that amount of money to to keep Connor Hellebuck? Um, I'm going to say yes. I just think okay. yes because um, they have so many young guys that are going to eventually come up. But then eventually, too, like you're going to have to pay these guys as well. But right. I just don't think New Jersey has it in them right now for a goalie that I have full confidence in right now, either on the roster right now or in the system. So for me, I just think that if you're still going to be bold, if you're going to do a Timo Meyer trade like that and just really bet on yourselves, um, why not do it for a guy in his prime? Um, A guy that is arguably a top three, top five goalie right now Mm -hmm. and make the most out of it because these prospects, it's going to be another situation where they keep coming up and, you know, I could be wrong about this, but they're going to keep coming up, but you're going to have to still find ways to put them somewhere. And they're not right. goalies. None of them are goalies. Yeah, None of them sure. are goalies. It's mostly defensemen, mostly wingers. So I, I'm i on just that case where it's just like, if New Jersey wants to continue this, fix the weakest spot. What right. about you? You never mentioned I, the team for you. So, okay. So I think I'll, I'll go quickly. Like, it was weird. My gut was like, I don't know, man. Pittsburgh want to contend for quite some oh time. And I, I, the thing is, they don't have, they don't really have much money to do that either. But 
they don't have like the capital to necessarily trade, or I don't know if that's something they want to trade. Their cupboards are quite thin at the moment. So I don't know if that's something they're willing to trade. Again, I look at like LA who just traded uh, Cal Peterson. You have no clue about um, Corpusalo. He's a he's a UFA, and you have we haven't heard anything about about what's next for Jonas Corpusalo. I just wonder. I wonder about LA again. I don't know because what do I know? But that's I don't, that's a very interesting uh, idea because not that goaltending has been a full on weakness at times. It has been, especially through the regular season. Uh, and if you can have a Connor Hellebuck there and with a relatively uh, decent backup with someone, I mean, Phoenix Copley, I'm going to just sit here again talk about Phoenix Copley, <laughs> but someone who's relatively fine, who's going to hold the ship, I, I think that's some, some someone that you look at. Uh, let's move on to... Um, where should we go next? We could just mention Jesper Bratt really quick. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're here anyways. Jesper Bratt, since we're talking, we've been talking about the Devils, this afternoon or this morning signed an eight-year deal at $7.875 million. Solid. I think it was solid. Solid deal. Uh, he had 32 goals and 73 points. Uh, this last year, which was the same as he had last year. He had 73 points, 26 goals, though. Listen, if he keeps up this production, he is still 24 years old. He'll be 25 in a month. But when the cap goes up, I think this is going to be a really, really good deal. And I think that team as a whole is still getting better. I think they they got to the second round this year. But if they keep moving in the direction that they're moving in, I think that's going to be a solid deal. Yeah, they're going to be fine. Um, I think it's just, I love that about New Jersey. It's just that we always talk about Jack Hughes. We always talk mm-hmm. about Nico Hishier. And to have these other guys too, just kind of just, you know, coming, being on the up and up with them at the same time and signing these guys long term, uh, you know, definition of if you see that glimmer of hope, you see that upswing, you really capitalize on keeping these guys on the team wanting to build a winner for the long term. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Good. And they also made it, the Nevils made another piece of another trade. We have our third sign in trade in NHL history. Uh, so the Devils signed a $50 million extension at eight year for eight years with uh with Damon Severson, so $6.25 million, and then traded him to the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Columbus Blue Jackets, their top four looks almost completely different yeah. than it did this past year. I think talk- their team, too, yeah. Like, you know, avoid uh, that whole thing of are we going to go into another big rebuild or are we going to always just be on the downturn again? Um you know, Jakob cut the line and just saying like, no, we're not. We're gonna patch this up. We're gonna try yeah. to, you know, get back to how we were two seasons ago. And listen, like I like Severson. I think he was great. I the extension. I I'm still kind of wonky about it. I know he's a right hand mm-hmm. shot. Yeah, but it it is what it is. What it like what you were gonna get for him. I think that 
good on the guy for getting the extension, but for I don't know, just for this much, it's just like is this is was he even like he wasn't even the best like arguably the best defenseman on New Jersey. No, he was not. But so, but people were saying he was the best UFA defenseman available. Yeah. So and Mike Babcock's gonna love that. Again, Mike Babcock move like. They, I just we talked about it last episode, and I think it broke just after we recorded. Anyways, that they were gonna, or it broke the next day with both David Severson. I said when they traded for Ivan Provorov, this is a Mike Babcock move, not because he said they need to trade for Ivan Provorov, but because when you bring in Mike Babcock, you're not gonna half-ass it, and I don't think they're half-assing it. Again, we we talked about it last episode. If you have any thoughts, go ahead, but. Whether you like it or not, with Mike Babcock, like, whether you like the hiring or not, it like this is Mike Bab. Yeah, <laughs> Mike Babcock move. Like you can't, you're not gonna half-ass it with him. To me, I don't necessarily know how much sense it makes, but we'll see. Yeah, I think like you know, been out of the game for a while. Um, you know, it just really didn't work out with you know going through the rebuild and then trying to make a winner again. Um, and, you know, right. like for his on his part, it didn't work out in Toronto. So I think if you're going to convince a guy to come back to the NHL after so long, you should have this this in place. Like we don't know what it's going to look like because you're just adding a lot of new faces to this team with uh, Columbus. So we don't know what's going to look like, but it at least gives that blueprint of we're not a team. We're a team that's trying to win. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't get over it. Well, I, I don't, again, I said last episode and I'd argue, I still think they're not done. I don't think Columbus is done making moves per se. Like I, I yeah. think up front, they might make a couple more. Maybe they need to get a center. Maybe they should go back and get Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm, <laughs> the thing that's funny is like, they have the center prospect. It's just like, they're don't throw them yet. in. Yeah, don't just don't throw them yeah. in. They need an actual center. Um, so we have two coaching hires. We'll we'll talk about the most boring one uh first. The New York Rangers, they don't go after Sheldon Keefe, they don't go after John Hines, they hire Peter Laviolette. Um to be carousel continues. The, the carousel in the Metropolitan Division continues. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could get super, super specific here. Um I don't know. It, is it the worst hire in the world? No. Is it the best hire in the world? No. But it seems to me extremely basic. Yeah. It's like, meh. We just okay. Yeah. yeah. The guy there. Yeah. I don't know if this drastically changes how they maybe it changes how they play. I don't think it changes much about the New York Rangers. I don't think this is ooh, like I, I don't think this puts them um above in in my opinion at least um then the calgary flames get their guy uh you know it was down to a few coaches and they end up hiring their assistant coach ryan huska and actually i don't know if you saw the notification daniel but most recently this afternoon uh they brought back jerome aginla as special advisor to the general manager who had been rumored, rumored to come back. So again, Ryan Husk is a guy who's been around the uh, organization for, for some time. 
Now, my question is, do they go back to their Daryl Sutter? You, you talk about going back to the old ways. Do they go back to the Daryl Sutter ways? Or do they take a different approach where we saw uh, Jonathan Huberdo, or sorry, where we saw Matthew Kachuk and and those guys, you know, really shine offensively? You, I mean, you better go in a different direction the way last season went. I know uh, Ryan Huska is still a Daryl Sutter guy, but I think that if you could really balance out what made them successful two seasons ago and still try to have an approach of like, you know, listen, we have a different core now that these guys are playing a different style of, you know, let's let's try to make the most of their strengths, then that'd be great. I've seen it in other teams before where they hire the assistant and they have the understanding of what worked in the old system, but didn't heavily rely on, like, let's just try to run it back. Um, let's try to find a balance there of what we can really do. Yeah, it, it, the, I think the one of the things that they talk about with the assistant coaches is there's the way they talk to the players. So that's like, and the way they interact with them. So again, that's also another yeah. conversation. Oh, one example, I think of one example that's like Mike Sullivan yeah. after mm-hmm. Dan Bilesma right. was uh, fired. Like Pittsburgh wasn't necessarily on a rebuild, but it, they had to do something in terms of a move of familiarity, given the situation of, you know, the way, the flames are built. Like there's a team that's expected to try to win it now with the roster they have. So I yeah, think yeah. that's an example too of Mike Sullivan coming in for Dan Bilesma as an example of you're making the changes without forcing these guys to play a like a different way that they're not used to. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um okay, let's go let's wrap up the show with two things. There's two okay. things left. The Leafs and the Habs. We'll go we'll start with the Leafs because I, I want to say the save the Habs for the the end because I think it might be an interesting discussion. They hire Shane Doan, blah 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 blah. Cool. I it's I don't it, the Shane Doan thing has been such a weird <laughs> ever since Dubis left. So you know, I, I've noticed an interesting thing on Twitter. Um, when Lou left, there was a lot. There was this divide on Leafs Twitter and it was Lou side and it was um, Dubas side. And it was both sides were talking about each other. Yeah. And we've come that to that again, where it's just, can you please, can we just stop talking about Dubas? It's over. It's yeah, done. Let it go. Let it go. Finish, <laughs> finished. Finished. Done. Enough. I don't want to hear about him anymore. This reminds me of, um, you know, the end of Ferris Bueller's day off. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the part where he comes back out of the washroom in his bathroom, he's like, "Oh, you're still here? The movie's done. Go home." Like, come on, enough. Like, I, I don't care. We're talking about like I saw him today. He got a honorary doctor from Brock University. I saw it. Uh, I did not want. Not that I didn't want to see that. Cool, super cool, great. I don't know what else they to get say. Get that degree from University of Pennsylvania. I'm kidding. <laughs> but i just you don't need to tell me you don't need to like then jason spezza leaves and then it's like we're gonna redo this to with jason spezza finished enough please now shane doan comes in and it's all all the like uh anti-dubis guys are, are like oh look at the way shane doan plays who cares 
I mean that like in the nicest way possible to Shane Doan. It's not a Shane Doan thing. It's a Brendan Shanahan's the president of this team. No one on this team plays like Brendan Shanahan. Right? No one, yeah. I mean, so yeah, what nobody. does it mean? It means it's cool. I, I'm more interested. Like, is he going to be helpful? He's not going to impact the way they play on the ice. I promise. I promise. Because yeah. when Jason Spezza played for the Leafs, everyone was like, man, that's the only guy who gives a damn. He went up to the press box, looked, it looked, I still looked like he gave a damn, and nothing changed on the ice. So tell me, Shane Doan's going to what? Listen, he's just a hire. Cool. I want to have a conversation about, are the Leafs actually going to get rid of Sheldon Keefe or keep him? Yeah, yeah, that's still a thing. I have have a real issue, and this is the most upset I might be all episode. I have a real problem with running this all back again with the only change being made being Brad Treliving. And I also have a problem with if Sheldon Keefe goes into the season with an extension and come December, you decide you don't want to keep him anymore. Why didn't you just fire him in April or May? Sorry. We actually got to May. It's, yeah. it's exciting. We're um, Sheldon watch. Why didn't you fire him in May? What changed? Nothing. Nothing changed. But what what changed between May and let's call it December? You did this with Mike Babcock. It was obvious. You should have done it in April after he screwed up against the Bruins when he got outcoached. So what's the difference? Yeah, I I just don't know. Um, the player relationships. Okay, like the only thing I can think of is. You know, this is a guy that's known the players, especially the core guys coming up. And you'd still want to just see, like, how's that going to affect the locker room in some way? I think if they want to do a shock to the system, you should have done it already. But I don't know. Like, I I actually put put myself in Sheldon Keefe's situation. Like, like every day, it's like, I have a job, right? Um, This is still going to work. I'm going to be here. The draft i'm going to be here training camp like what's what like what's the let me know now listen he has a year left and i know the whole I, I, people have been saying well generally they don't go into the last year of their contract i don't care i don't care so you're gonna now money is not an issue you're gonna extend him and then december come december when you don't like him you're gonna you're gonna drop him after extending him now money's an issue okay the player i'm of the belief that the players really should not have a say whether he is fired or not i don't think you take that into consideration they already got mike babcock fired whether if he's fired whether he stays like if sheldon keith gets fired they will have gotten him fired he is I, I I'm not I'm not interested in like I'll call it coddling these players anymore. Like let's be real. They may they have one playoff round win in eight seven years now. Yeah. That's not good enough. It's yeah. not. 
It's not good enough. And the whole thing was, and I, we talked about, I don't remember if you were on the episode or not, was you can't run it back the same way again. No, you cannot. And now you're going to run it back with all the core four trying to rebuild the bottom six for a seventh year now. You're going to run back the coach and you're going to run back the present, but we're just going to change the GM. Who's the general manager? Is that a fair question to ask? Yeah. I think is at this point, I don't know. Again, I'm going to bring it up that we'll see what the draft brings. What's going to happen there. We'll see if there's a move there. And then if not, when free agency starts, maybe that's when things start ramping up. I, I'm not sure, but I do agree that if there's going to be drastic change, it has to be now of, listen, like this wasn't working. You need a new voice in the locker room. And if you really want to push these guys, you know, Brad Trivling did this already. Like, you know what I mean? He already did this. I don't know out of necessity, but it was also a response to what did the, what did the flames do against the Oilers in the second round? He still went out and made the move. So, for me, it's 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 similar in a way. Like there is a bit of this urgency to try and find like something something different. I agree, and we continue to sit here and not. And it's like Elliot Friedman says on Thirty Two Thoughts. I I thought it was going to be decided by now, and it doesn't sound like it's decided. Just pick a direction, decide. Like I, I don't know. It's frustrating because obviously, yes, take the time to consider and and all that. But it's frustrating that like we're at this point again. Yeah. yeah. I don't I, I I'm I'm just I'm frustrated. That's the way I'm gonna put it. I'm frustrated. <laughs> um let's go to the Habs real quick before we end the episode. I realize we've been going for quite some time. But, yeah, we have been, um, been passionate conversation yeah i'm just upset i'm frustrated and i'm upset um but this is an interesting conversation i think so the habs uh the canadians have the fifth overall pick this year mm-hmm. uh there's a lot swirling out there we don't need to get into all of it some of uh you know they're gonna take uh smith they're gonna take leonard they're gonna take Dvorsky. they're gonna take reinbacker they're gonna trade for the fourth overall pick they're gonna trade for the second overall pick and the last one I think is the most obvious one to me. And I have, I'm, and I think the Montreal Canadiens should take uh, Mitchkov, Mate Mitchkov at number five. If he's still there. It, yes. Sorry. Let's preface it with if he's still there. Yeah. I will, like, I, I had this really interesting text, and I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, because Adam texted saying, I think I've accepted the fact that we aren't going to draft draft Mitchkov. And it hurts, but I've accepted it. I don't think there's an actual val- uh, a, a 100% valid reason as why, if available, which it looks like he's going to be available at five, at what reason you don't take Mitchkov? Um, first off, the team has a load of prospects that I've, I've read, we've read about, we've talked about, et cetera. Um, and, you know, if in this iteration of the Montreal Canadiens under Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes can develop them right, 
that's going to be super helpful in filling up the rest of the team until Mitchkov gets here. Now, even without Mitchkov next year, because Mitchkov has a three-year contract in the KHL, the team's going to take a step forward. Maybe they're not going to make the playoffs. They're definitely not going to be a top, a bottom five team. And I think if you add Pierre-Luc Dubois, they're not a bottom 10 team for sure. If, and I and I think he's going to come here. He wants to play in the NHL. I believe I've read mm-hmm. that. He said he wants to play in the NHL. So I'm going to say when. When Mitchkov comes in three years, you are now adding a talent who probably when he comes to the NHL could be at the level of Kaprizov or better when he came to the NHL and entering a competitive window. Imagine being able to play Mitchkov for a year or two at $925,000 plus performance bonuses in your top six. You know it reminds me of? Who? Artemi Panarin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just... I know everyone's worried about the whole this the Russia situation. I say again, when has Russia not been a a problem? Mm. Prior to the war, has Russia yeah. not always been a consideration? Like pre this year, Mitch or pre yeah, really yeah. pre this year, Mitchkov has been number two. Yeah, it was Bedard and Mitchkov for the last few years. So. I find I could understand some teams want them to come and want their guy to come now. You know, Fantilli, uh, Carlson, Bedard, obviously. Like I'm not even, I don't include Bedard because he's obviously going at one, but Fantilli and Carlson might come sooner, and that might benefit the Anaheim Ducks and the uh San Jose Shark or who's, who's Columbus three Columbus, the Columbus Blue Jackets. It might benefit them that they come a little bit sooner. But in the situation the Canadians are in, I can't see a really good reason as to why you don't pick Mitchkov at five. With the prospects you have, with the guys you already have on your roster, to be a competitive team in three years and to add Mate Mitchkov, I, I think that's the most obvious one. He's going to be the best player available, if available, at five. The, he's the best player available at five. There's no, it's not revisionist history. Really, it's not revisionist history. We've been talking about the kid f- for two or three years. Yeah. The same way we've been talking about Bedard. <laughs> I, I, what's changed? I remember, uh, yeah, we talked about the uh, Ivan Helinka Gretzky tournaments of these guys going head to head with each other. And uh, it's always been that. It's always been the comparison between those two players. Um, for me, just the one thing I just want to say is I really do agree with you that I think that in terms of the talent level, you pick the guy if he's available. And the other part of it is I'm looking through what you said. It was really interesting, Alex, what you said about the situations these guys find themselves in. Like, you know, we're not going to talk about Conor McDard because we already know he's going to Chicago. Sure. Um, the Ducks and the Blue Jackets, I think that they are in different situations in terms of the young guys they do have or what they've done, I think, with the Ducks. It's a difference of wanting to have a guy that's going to mesh in with these young guys you're already rolling out. With Columbus, it's a guy that you probably want to get someone who's NHL ready, an NHL ready center like Leo Carlson, who 
is going to benefit with maybe not getting all the responsibilities because you have a cool cylinder and a Kent Johnson. Sure. Yeah. And then even when I talk about the sharks, they're not good. They're, they are not no. good, but no. they're a team that you still have to do something and put at least one guy there that maybe will help you be competitive a lot sooner. Right. And I looked, yeah, back to five. Um, I, I, I could put Montreal and Arizona in the same situations in terms of not saying they're the same teams, but they're owed a bit more patience in what they're trying to do for the teams. So for me, Mitchkoff goes to one of those teams, and I think it is going to Montreal because gonna if he drops the five, you pick that guy. Pick him. Yeah. So I just like to point that out. I did like what you said there that that's the right situation for the player that uh, if you're going to think about the Russian factor, if you're going to think about if he goes, pro, if he's going to continue to be pro with the KHL, then you profess the patience there. And I just don't see it with the teams picking two to four. Okay. So I, it's not breaking news, but Renault Lavoie had tweeted it. I'm pretty sure I saw this a month ago or so now too. Renault Lavoie tweeted an hour ago, Matvey Mitchkov plans to be at the NHL draft in Nashville, according to multiple sources. It will be interesting to see if this will help his rank selection. Please, if he's available at five, listen, I don't take him. I don't care. I don't care. You know what? I hope they don't take him. But there's no reason to me why you select someone else when you know this guy's available and we've been talking about him for years in comparison to Connor Bedard. Someone's going to have to explain to me what has changed. Yeah. Put it like that. Um, I'm just double-checking Twitter. I don't see anything. Uh, Looking at right now... um... Not really too much. You know, it is a four o'clock on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, there'll probably be something tomorrow at 5.30 as per usual, a Friday news um, note, But Cat Friendly just put the breakdown of the Jesper Bratt contract. That's about it. All right. All right. So let's uh I'll well, let's wrap up the episode. Thanks for thank you for listening to another episode. If you are not already doing so, subscribe to the podcast or follow it, depending on where you are and make sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, TikTok, and make sure to follow us there too. So you can see uh, any content that we post and um, we'll be back soon. Thanks guys. Bye.